Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Genuine Chit Chat. This week, my guest is Alton Wheelhouse. Now, I do want to just apologise because this is, I think, maybe the only episode I've released that is actually late. Um, I've had the odd time where, or the odd time, I think I've had it twice since starting where I've missed a Sunday. Um, just because I, I've already prefaced, I've said like I'm going on holiday, it won't be out this week, blah blah blah. But this weekend has been really, really hectic for me, um, and my girlfriend uh, moved in with me as well, so we've been incredibly busy. So I do apologise for the delayed uh, episode. Hopefully, it hasn't been too traumatising for all of you because I know you're clamouring for it. Well, don't worry, guys, it makes it worth it because this is an absolutely brilliant chat. So yeah, as I said at the start, the guest is Alton, and essentially he is the creator and the lead architect of a new tabletop RPG called Dimensions. Um, for any of you unfamiliar, a tabletop RPG, Dungeons and Dragons is probably the, the best one that everyone kind of knows about, and most people have at least seen some degree of. Now, I won't go into too much detail here because Alton explains it in a far better way than I ever could. Um, but essentially, he's got a Kickstarter going right now, which I have donated to, and I can't wait to get my whole set and all the dice and things. And essentially, it's meant to be a Dungeons & Dragons for casuals, essentially. So people who aren't necessarily used to these sorts of games. That can be people who aren't even used to video games of any caliber, all the way up to people who aren't sort of used to, you know, Dungeons and Dragons or anything like that, but it is also meant for people who are really deeply entrenched in these sorts of things. So people who love Dungeons and Dragons, people who love video games, it's meant to be essentially the tabletop RPG, which is easily accessible, should be able to be picked up in a few minutes rather than many, many hours like the other ones are, and can all be played with a box that fits in your pocket as opposed to all the things that you have to buy for Dungeons and Dragons and that sort of thing. So yeah, we basically talk about his project, why he's decided to create another tabletop RPG, um, what makes it different, and that sort of thing. Um, I'm not going to go into too much detail, I'm not going to ramble on or anything like that, but I will say there is a link in the description um, for my affiliate link. Essentially, it just means if you click on that, go to the Kickstarter and fund the project, I'll get a small percentage of it. Um, if you don't feel comfortable doing that, that's completely fine. I would much rather a large group of people went to the Kickstarter without my link and donated, well, I say donate, you do get things for it, you know, there's on the lower tier things, if anyone's used Kickstarter before you know, but just brief, you know, lower tier things, you get, you know, stickers, badges, small things, a bit more, you get like the game and versions of that, a bit more than that, which is what I've done, you get like a dice set, you get the physical copy of the game as well, um, and further on, you get more and more things, so I'd really recommend everyone goes check that out, you know, as I say, I'd rather loads of people went without my um, affiliate link and went straight to the Kickstarter than like two people just use the link because some for some reason they don't want me to have any degree of money from that because I just want to say I genuinely believe in this project I this is very much it I feel like it's a great idea and I think that it could be absolutely massive and I think that the amount of passion that you can hear from Alton in this chat really shows that so I'll be back at the end to talk about this a little bit more about the Kickstarter and things as well as this is part one of the chat so part two will be out next week um and also before the chat starts, there'll be a quick promo from the Ragbag podcast. But aside from that, so as I say, guys, thanks as always for listening and tuning in and check out Dimensions on the Kickstarter and things. And I'll be back at the end. Ragbag is a fortnightly music podcast presented by me, Frank Burton. I play stuff like this. Tearing me apart. Booty shaking, body breaking, pop that jiggy by the beat. Stop.
I mean, is this eclectic enough for you yet? What more do you want? I also tell strange stories and engage in some quality listener interaction. Although it has to be said, most of my listeners are not the greatest caliber of person. I'm only being honest. I'm just hoping someone intelligent is actually listening to this promo. Please, help me out here, guys. Download Ragbag from SoundCloud, iTunes or Stitcher with more information at frankburson.co.uk. Welcome to Genuine Chit Chat, where we have honest conversations with interesting people. And I'm your host, Mike Burton. I am joined today by Alton, and you are a very interesting individual. Uh, the more I sort of delve into uh, essentially what you've been up to and what you're doing, it's uh, more and more intriguing to me. Um, so essentially, you are creating a game, uh, to put it simply, and that's all the introduction I'm going to give. I think you'll give it a much better introduction than I will, so there you go. Well, thank you very much. Uh, I, I do want to let you know you are right on both counts. I am an extremely interesting person, so thank you for recognizing <laughs> no. But uh, yes, we are working on a game. It is called Dimensions, a D6 tabletop role-playing game. Uh, and it is designed specifically to help new players learn how to play Dungeons and & Dragons and Pathfinder and uh, GURPS and Starfinder, all of the other systems that are out there, um, as an introductory product. It's something that you should be able to sit down, learn how to play in five minutes or less, and complete your first adventure within about an hour. Uh, and then we're creating uh, advanced rule sets and multiple uh, uh, multiverses for people to be able to travel through and explore content. Um, to help you get people acclimated. And especially if you're learning how to DM for the first time, you know, it's a great tool to be able to get you going there as well. Mm. Yeah, exactly. And, um, you know, myself, uh, I think I've mentioned the podcast before, but I, I do play Dungeons and Dragons. Um, I've not been a dungeon master, um, but and I've been playing for about a year or so now um it's taken a little bit of a backseat just at the moment because podcasting is busy and stuff uh, the irony of not doing as much D to then talk about a gentleman who's creating potentially the new D. So it's, it's quite funny in that way um yeah a couple of my friends are um doing dming and things like that so i've only really uh played and stuff and um while i'm taking a bit of a backseat my, my mate who's dming at the moment is actually telling me the story he wants and he's kind of trying to flush out ideas so it's it's incredible and so i want to ask uh, people who People just aren't really aware, uh, you know, Dungeons and Dragons, those sorts of things. Um, they're role-playing games, and you obviously mentioned D6. Uh, for people who aren't aware, that's a, a dice with six sides, just a standard dice everyone's kind of aware of. And in games like D&D and things like that, there's normally lots of other dice, which you know, D20s, etc. Um, so what I want to ask is, from sort of, if we go back quite far to like the earlier days, like when did you actually first play a role-playing game, uh, be it D&D or anything like that? Maybe even a tabletop game, for, to be honest, because obviously it kind of falls into both categories. Yeah, yeah. So um, I grew up watching my dad play tabletop strategy games, uh, both role-playing games and just traditional war games. And so it's something that's always kind of been in the back of my head. I grew up playing video games, StarCraft, WarCraft, Dungeon Siege, Neverwinter Nights, the whole gambit, right? Mm -hmm. And um, But it was only about, uh, actually we're coming up on 11 years now, 11 years ago, uh, I sat down in a in a local game store and saw a group of people playing and said, you know, I, I want to learn how to play. So I asked him to sit down. Um, 
They rushed me through the character creation process, sat me down and started playing without too much introduction. Uh, two, can't, or, or two sessions in, the dungeon master decided not to show up. And everybody turned to me and said, well, you run it. You're pretty good at making stuff up on the spot. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and, Trial by fire. Oh, absolutely. It was absolutely miserable at the beginning. Um, there were I, I was the least experienced person. Even though I'm good at talking and making stuff up on the spot, everybody else knew the rules better than I did. And so I was constantly being corrected. And, you know, people were frustrated with the way that I ran games. But... Nevertheless, somehow we were able to stumble our way through it. And over the course of the last 11 years, I have probably spent 90% of my time running games instead of playing them. Um, most notably, over the last five and a half years, uh, I have been professionally uh, GMing, uh, going out to college campuses and businesses and parties and things like that and running games for people. Oh, wow. And it's it's been a lot of fun. You know, it's not glamorous. I don't make tons of money doing it, but it's a great time to go out and experience people at all different skill levels. Um, and so because of that, you know, it, it created a skill set that I've been developing. You know, I run a number of sessions uh, every week and uh, a couple of years ago I had a chance to go and start a game store. So I went and did that for a couple of years. And during that time, um, my wife's friends invited me out to a cabin in the woods. And while we were there, one of them brought up a popular cup and dice game that I don't own the trademark to, so I won't uh, <laughs> get your content flagged. But they handed me, you know, a, a handful of six-sided dice and said, can we play D&D with this? And I said, well, no, but there's no reason that there isn't some other system that we couldn't play. But I didn't know of any that were simple enough that I felt comfortable teaching them with no prep time, no background in gaming, I mean, you know, these guys, the most complicated game they'd probably played was Monopoly up until this point. So trying to introduce all those concepts seemed very difficult to me. So it stuck in the back of my head the way that problems do. And over the next couple of years, I, I worked out this system uh, called Dimensions. Again, with a couple of key things in mind. Um, there are three primary reasons, in my experience, that people decide not to try a role-playing game for the first time. And hopefully some of you out there will relate to some of these. Uh, so the first is uh, cost, right? Uh, you need two to three books, dice, a dice bag, pen and paper, character sheets, right? It, it starts to stack up really quick, especially once you start to get into the hobby properly. You have miniatures that you're painting and you start to amass this collection of cool dice and it, it gets expensive very quickly. Um, the second is complexity. People look at seven different shapes of dice, only recognize the six-sided die and the 20-sided die if they're lucky and have no idea how to use them. Then you realize that each of those three books that you purchase to learn how to play the game is about 400 pages each. It's 11 pounds of books. That represents, you know, a couple weeks of study. And if you get everything right the first time, then awesome. You may be able to sit down and play, but nobody gets it right the first time. <laughs> and then uh, the third thing is commitment. The time that you need to sit down, learn how to play, then create a character, then the sessions themselves, 
And that's assuming that you have a competent uh, game master who can run you through everything and keep things moving. You know, your minimum commitment to get to your first game is realistically five to six hours. And then your first game is somewhere between two and five hours. And there are times that you sit down and you play for three hours and you get nothing done. (laughs) And for a first time player who's trying to learn the ropes and understand the mechanics and pick out which role they need to make from a hundred different boxes on their character sheet. It's just too much. Mm. And so Dimensions is designed specifically to solve those problems. Clean, easy to read, easy to play, five minutes or less you can get going. And then we have optional advanced rules that you can start to tack on as you get more comfortable with the game to be able to add depth and crunch and complexity to right-size the game for you and your friends so that you know, you can play how you've always wanted to play. Yeah, and what you said there is uh, incredible because one of the things, like when I first uh, was playing D&D uh, a year ago, we started uh, just like a, a starter booklet thing. We spent one whole session just creating our characters, vaguely getting to know the rules and things. And that did, as you say, I think that took about five hours to even start, like even not even start properly. That was like a pre-session. Um, mm-hmm. And then I, we played with those six of us, I think. And two of them, after like two sessions, they just kind of lost interest. And we didn't even like fully create our own characters. We were kind of uh, doing a few other things like using uh, part pre-made characters, stuff like that. And so mm. I can, you saying that they were really wanting to play and they've, you know, watched either Stranger Things, obviously that's uh, got it on there. That's one of the more recent things I can think of. But as the term almost nerdy is becoming less of a derogatory term and it's more celebrated, you know, especially Game of Thrones, probably the biggest example of that, of that's like the nerdiest, most D&D thing there almost is. And it's also the biggest TV show there is. So the people wanting to get into these things and the stigma isn't attached to being an air quotes nerdy anymore. And so people want to delve in but as you say everything is so huge and you have to put a lot of commitment in Mm. and in nowadays where especially people for if i use our generation for example may not always have the money for it or they're busy doing other things like you know as i said slightly earlier i am not playing DD that much at the moment mainly because of time constraints because i'm doing podcasting i'm doing this i'm doing that and you know my friends they have to organize things weeks in advance Mm -hmm. So they're all free for like a whole Sunday. And, you know, for some people, that's amazing. You know, spending a whole Sunday with your mates having a laugh doing role play games is great. But a lot of people don't want to commit to that. And there's a big, I think what you're going to tap into, especially when this game comes to market, is you're going to tap into that sort of, um, the way I would almost describe it is the Switch model in more mm. for more reasons than one, in a sense. And that's because the, if I use the Nintendo Switch as an example, you know, it's a portable game system. It has many casual games, but it also has got a lot more uh, hardcore sort of games, That, but they're a lot more easy to access than, say, some of the other hardcore games on PC, for example. Mm-hmm. That doesn't diminish them how good they are. You know, uh, Breath of the Wild, using it as an example, is a huge, huge game. That's a big one on the Switch. So what is... With the with the switch analogy, it's you know it's accessible by anyone, and mm-hmm. depending on your skill level, your interest, your time, etc., it means you can invest what you want and you can get that back. Mm-hmm. With D and D, it's not quite that simple. With D and D, you have to invest a lot of things in one go to to even start to get a feedback, and it's almost like you know you invest a huge lump sum at one go to begin with, and then it trickles these sort of back mm-hmm. over the over the course of time. And another reason the switch analogy in this sense works is because um, your game is portable. And I thought you'd want to sort of elaborate a little bit on, um, I, I know I saw a, I think it was a, your AMA Ask Me Anything sort of thing you did on your uh, Facebook page last month and you had a thing in your pocket. You didn't bring it out and show anyone because it's a prototype, but you were saying that you can take it around your pocket. So I'd be really interested to hear about the sort of the portable element of it. 
Yeah, so uh, you can see this right now. Your audience can't. No one else can. Nope, not recording video either. So I couldn't even if I wanted to. <laughs> but it's uh, brilliant. Yeah, so you can tell. You know, I'm holding it up next to my face right now. It's a little bit bigger than a cigarette case, um, and it's literally everything that you and four friends need to sit down and play right out of the box. Um, again, going back to my original experience, that the inception of the whole thing, I was in a cabin in the woods. Right. We just wanted to sit down and play. And especially if a game is going to be really accessible like that, in my mind, portability was important. So you and your friends are out. You know, we, we sometimes call this a tavern RPG. Nice. You're out at the pub. You're out at the bar. You have a couple hours to kill and everybody's relaxed and you go, oh, hey, we could play a role playing game and, you know, pull it out. There is no way in hell that you're going to be able to do that with D&D, with any kind of <laughs> local area network. I mean, you know, the Switch is starting to make video games like that a little bit more accessible, but even then there's a whole bunch of coordination and everybody has to have their own and things that come. money in. as well. Oh, yeah. Switches are expensive. Oh, yeah. You know, and, and, and so Dimensions is uniquely positioned to be able to solve that problem, right? If you have a competent storyteller, somebody who can just make something up on the spot, Everything that you need is in the box. You don't need to connect to anything else. The complete rule set is a double-sided sheet of paper that sits inside the box. Super easy. If you don't have somebody who's played the game before, if you're a group of five people who have never played a role-playing game in your life, we have an optional digital companion that we call our Adventure Portal. And as long as you have an internet-connected device, you can connect to it. It's built in HTML, so you can just go straight to the website and log in. And it comes with pre-built adventures that are designed to take around an hour, sometimes a little bit more. If they're ever going to be longer than that, we'll indicate to you on the website so you don't accidentally start into something you can't finish. But they're designed specifically to teach you the principles of the game and increase in complexity as you move through the stories. So the very first episode that everybody's going to get to play is A Haunted House. It's called The Haunting at Rose Drift. And... This is an episode designed specifically to teach you all of the basic mechanics of the game. At the beginning, you start with, you know, one or two choices, and then they start to become more complex, and you have more options. And by the end of that first hour, you should know all of the basics of how to play the game. The second episode then builds upon that and adds increasing complexity and lets you make more decisions. And, you know, it starts to introduce the concepts of how to level up your character and how to strategize as a group and things like that. So that as you play through a season of content, by the end of the season, you should all be 100% confident in playing. And whoever has been storytelling should have a pretty good feel for how to make things move along and handle situations that, you know, the players want to take something off the rails. Mm, I see. And that's a really good way of um, putting it as well, because uh, with my friend um, Reese, he's he's a DM. Him, he's the DM of our, our current big session. He's created all the story from scratch and all these sorts of um, other things. And... Um, one of the things he was talking about uh, when it came to video games um, was he was talking about some other video game that I can't remember and he was saying like you know the difficulty ramp to learn it and blah 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 is really difficult but he was saying the best video games are ones which you learn without being without it feeling like you're being taught mm -hmm. you know you get the big uh, big bugbear of a lot of people with um, AAA games you know the big ones like uh, Call of Duty things like that I don't know if Call of Duty actually does that I haven't played a Call of Duty game in quite a while but like games where you start it and it's a tutorial level that is so so basic that 
it's just dull. You know, ones where it's like, move the analog stick to move. Hmm. Complete. Move this. And it's just like, that's fine for people who've never played before. But for people who actually, you know, have played games like that before, there's you have to still play this tutorial level. And with your uh, Adventure Portal, you seem to have... Obviously, they can obviously start the first level but if they're finding oh this is a bit too easy or you know we've played lots of dnd so this is all coming second nature to us with you, the way you're thinking of every aspect of it you've already got oh okay well, if you think that's a bit too easy maybe go to the next uh, sort of episode maybe go to the next one and, and see where you feel like you are ready for and then you still get to play a full game you still get to get the enjoyment of it and the role-playing experience without having to drag and have that sort of start of dnd thing well, see, and I'm even taking it a step beyond that. So my encouragement to you is to start at the first level regardless of your skill. Because if you have good dungeon sense, if you're familiar with how role-playing games work and you know what you're looking for, you know, players who have played Zelda or Skyrim for years know, hey, that rock looks just a little bit different from the others. There's probably something hidden there. It's the exact same thing here. There are Easter eggs, there's hidden content, bonus areas scattered throughout all of the levels. And we have a unique advantage being a digital platform over you buying a traditional printed book, which is that as we watch players play through the levels and get feedback, we can go in and add additional content. So what you'll find is that these first six episodes for Elnaria, which is our high fantasy realm, They've been planned out. We've loaded them up with all kinds of secret paths and things like that. But a year from now, when you come back, if you poke around, maybe bring a different character who wasn't created at the beginning, you may find content that was completely hidden, or you may be able to see things that now you've played through the storyline, you understand them in context. Um, so it's it's a really cool thing to be able to do as a, as a GM, as a game designer, because we can create this kind of dynamic content that allows you to explore at your own pace and not feel like you're being held back or dragged along. However mm. you want to explore the world, it's up to you. And we provide all of the lore and all of the background so that if you want to tell a different story than the one that we're telling, you can do it. Yeah. And that's amazing. And it's that sort of thing is incredibly rewarding because uh, I can think of a, a good example uh, for a game would be uh, original Super Mario Brothers. Mm -hmm. um, you know, a lot of people who've played that a lot know that on the I think it's the first level uh, that you can basically go oh, maybe the second level. No, I'm I'm saying like I know and I've actually completely <laughs> forgotten. But there's one, one of the first two levels. I think it's the second level, the underground level. You can like get over the first uh, the actual exit of it and then go to like a jump ball to like several worlds ahead. Mm -hmm. And I remember when I first did that and i did it by accident i was like i wonder what happens if i just go up here you know and do this and i was like oh my god like they've they've thought of this and <laughs> i think mario odyssey um has something similar where it's like there's no part in the game that you can't reach that doesn't mm. mean there's necessarily something up there and that doesn't mean there's going to be something that you 100 percent need like a collectible but there can be nice little easter eggs and i think what a lot of people sort of miss out on when they aren't gamers and things um is the joy of Easter eggs in in a strange way. I mean, a, a little a quick story is Halo 3 is a great example. Me and my mates mm. used to play Halo 3 all the time, and that is ram full of Easter eggs and things. Oh, yeah. And I remember, yeah, it's great. And I remember us trying to find um, all the skulls and things like that. But there's one bit, I think, on the last level, and it takes ages to get to. And it's just, it's this, uh, I think it's like a topless man, basically, with his um, hands on his head. And he's just like a, it's like a flat 2D pixel in this 3D game, hidden in this big, 
cave system somewhere and to get to him takes ages grenade jumping all these things that you shouldn't really almost be able to do and you get there and it's just this little silly sprite and it's like the, the, the sprite itself isn't that exciting, but the, the excitement and the fun of just being able to go there, being able to go there, and then the the designers going, yeah, we knew you could come here. Congratulations. Here you go. We're like, you didn't you didn't beat us to it. We already knew. It's like, yes, thank you. I've, I love it when they're allowing, you're, you're really promoting creativity. And I think, um, you said it before, but I think I've got, um, when you, uh, I think it's on your uh, Kickstarter page or on your website, it says, um, which you've basically just said, but I'll just say it again, if there's a better story to be told, tell that story instead so you've mm-hmm. got a mixture between you've got your worlds built in the early days you've got easter eggs for people who either revisit them or maybe are a bit more attuned to that world but you're also giving them all this lore but saying that you can do whatever you want it's, it's like you've managed to uh, mix uh basically everything people like about sandbox games along mm-hmm. with being able to customize it and things like that and add things to it you've got the bonus of the video game model of being able to update things and change things i think most people be familiar with like the way fortnite does it in a sense you know halloween editions uh, christmas editions etc mm-hmm. and it's like you can do these little tweaks and then it won't you know you don't have to make this gigantic expansion like D. if you want to play christmas edition you essentially <laughs> have to buy a as you say like an, a, a big book with all these extra things in it whereas you can just go no we can just so, so you've managed to get you've got portability you've got accessibility you've got the sandbox almost style where people can just do what they want but you've also got a strong law and easter eggs which can attune to sort of uh hardcore gamers as well as casuals so and, and the more i mean this is why i was quite excited to speak to you especially when i started looking into it more because it just sounds like you've got not only everything that anyone could want but you've got not just anything that one group of people would want but you seem to have clicked every demographic that i can think of and the beauty of it is if you get someone who is it can be like a, a positive infection that's the way i'm thinking of it how it spreads is say i think you mentioned the uh, in your ama about comic con you know mm-hmm. you've got people waiting in queues if one person just has one of those little boxes in their pocket and they're like, oh, has anyone here played D and D or whatever? And people go, eh, no, I don't know. Um, you know, I can't want to get into it, but I didn't. Or yeah, I love D and D. Go here, crack this out. And then those few people know, and those few people know. And I think over time, the portability, mixed accessibility, and everything is just going to help so many more people get into it. And I think you've really cracked that nail on the head. Thank you. Yeah, I mean that's my big hope. You know, over the last ten years, I've watched so many people who have wanted to play and been scared away. And it doesn't have to be scary. There just isn't anything out there that's simple enough. You know, you have to know somebody and you have to try really hard to get into role-playing games because unlike a video game, there are limitless possibilities, right? If you want to tell something completely different, go off the rails, you can do that, which means that, you know, especially traditionally, you look at the history of Dungeons & Dragons in particular, It came from a tactical studies school out in Wisconsin. A group of guys who'd been getting together formed a corporation specifically to create tactical war games, to simulate reality. And so in order to simulate reality, you have to add all of these crazy rules and interactions and how do we handle it? And artillery is a mile and a half away, so what's the trajectory of the missile? And like you just it just gets out of hand and and people have kind of gotten used to being bludgeoned over the head with so much information that they tune it out and just pick out the pieces that they want well that 
doesn't make for a fun first-time experience for a new player who maybe doesn't play exactly the same way that you do or think exactly the same way that you do. They need to have the foundational knowledge to be able to grow. You know, going back to your analogy on the Switch, it's like telling a five-year-old, here's Dark Souls, have fun, <laughs> and just leaving them on the couch. Like, yeah, if a five-year-old plays Dark Souls, they will hate video games for their entire life. Like, <laughs> yeah, And the thing is, there are those exceptionally gifted five-year-olds who are going to just keep trying and figure it out on their own. But is that the best way to reach the widest audience? I don't think so. You know, everybody learns a little bit different. Everybody looks for slightly different things. And as we look at the psychographic profiling of people and how they interact with the world and how they interact with games in particular... We have to make sure that the baseline reaches the lowest common denominator. And then we can add things from there. It's far easier to add than subtract. Mm, that's a very, very good way of putting it. And um, I must say, with with your experience, you're almost like uh, the, the perfect guy for the job. Because with your experience of DMing and things, you must have come into contact with so many different people of so many different skill sets and kind of pick up on a lot of the things that say the majority of players seem to have trouble with you know a lot of the lingo i mean i mean when we first started it was always the um doing checks was fairly understandable but there's other little like smaller bits about it which was like you know the dm would say oh, i'll do this and we we're a bit like i'm sorry what's that thing again like what's my uh spell cast modifier what's my this what's my that and it's like you're looking at your character sheet and it's got so much information you feel like your head's gonna explode and so with you having this experience where you're dming and gming and teaching all these people how to play and playing with people who are hardcore gamers you must have really absorbed like so much human information from all these people oh yeah well you know my professional background is actually in process design and improvement i've worked for several multi-million dollar companies and that was my whole job was to go in figure out what the problems are try to simplify it get the simplest most cost-effective solution and then i had to communicate that information back well, that means that I have to be able to comprehend everything that people are throwing, everything that somebody throws at me, and then somehow regurgitate it in a way that still makes sense to them. Um, like a master translator, like all information coming into you, and then you're just kind of like uh, regurgitating it so everyone else can understand. It's fantastic. Well, you know, I, I appreciate the compliment. Sometimes I do really well, and sometimes I don't. But games is a language that I personally understand and that I love. Um, people engage with games as a way to be able to have fun and to be able to process the world through a different lens. All day we get beaten down, we get told we're not good enough, we have experiences that grind us down and take our energy away. And games give us an opportunity to have a defined place that we understand how everything works and we know how to manipulate it, we know how to control it, and we know how to create the outcomes that we want. And role-playing games are particularly potent in that because you take the role of the protagonist. You take the role of the person who's pushing the story along and creating the outcomes. And that's a really valuable thing to be able to do. I completely agree with you. And it's it's one of those things that with with this game as well what i want to ask you about is with your sort of team that you've been uh, designing this with like how how long if i retract that question partially when did you obviously the cabin in the woods was sort of when you like mm, i should create this game how did the process sort of start from a few years ago to where you are now and the people that you found to help you with it and sort of the team that you've built around yourself uh yeah so 
uh, I'll do the best that I can not to be boring and drone on about this because it is a little bit complicated. But um, essentially what I did is I started with just a couple of foundational uh, restrictions, right? The first was I needed to be able to play it out of that cup and dice game. It needed to be something that, you know, people could sit down, they understand the concept of a six-sided die, and they don't need a million of them to be able to play the game. Um, the second thing is, is that I needed it to be at its simplest form. So anything that added complexity, any rule that didn't serve an express purpose for a first-time player needed to be eliminated. And then from there, I just kind of built the way up. And the first year was extremely, extremely slow. I could not figure out how to make it work because there's an interesting phenomena when you're working with six-sided dice in particular, which is that you either need a lot of them or very, very few of them in order for it to be mathematically significant. Uh, if you're working with numbers in the middle, it starts to get muddy. Um, but for a first-time player, I, I never wanted to say, no, you can't do anything. Like, that's a bad feeling when you're trying to teach people that you can do anything. You just need to know what your strengths and weaknesses are. And so... For the first year, I just kind of puzzled and tormented over it. Every time I'd play a game, I'd take notes and think about what worked and what didn't, and how can I simplify this, and how can I explain this better. And it just started to boil down to the math of it all. And then I finally had a breakthrough, uh, which is one of the unique mechanics of Dimensions is a luck mechanic, um, which interacts with your roles and always gives you a second option. So if you decide that you don't want to roll the stat that you've been instructed to roll by the storyteller, you can choose to use your luck pool instead. But when you do, you permanently lose dice. You can earn additional dice in various ways, um, but it makes it so that it's an additional resource that's available to you. Um, what happens consistently, and we've done over 100 hours of, or, or 100 sessions at this point, is um, players, first-time players, sit down to play. They get into a situation and they know that, oh, you know, I can summon a fireball or I can do whatever, right? But they don't realize that their class isn't equipped to do that well. We don't want to tell them no and stop the momentum of the game and force them to step back and rethink everything. And the luck mechanic enables us to be able to let them try, you know, there's always a chance you can succeed. There's always a chance you can fail. But you start to learn through recognition, through these patterns, that you have strengths, you have weaknesses, and there are appropriate times to take risks. But ultimately, those resources are available for you to use to determine the outcome of your own story. Mm, interesting. And what... Well, that luck mechanic, that does sound like a very, uh, certainly very intriguing thing. And I think that that could work very well. And I remember seeing um, some of the uh, the classes that you've got. And I saw one of them was Gambler. Mm -hmm. And I can see that that's probably linked in a bit more with the luck mechanic now. Because I, I saw that and I was just quite, because I saw all the rest of them. And I was, oh, I recognize a lot of these things from, you know, um, either, you know, different games like Skyrim, that sort of thing, or D&D, &D, you know, general fantasy-ish uh, -ish sort of games. And then I saw Gambler and I was like, that just 
almost like for me playing other games and um, being a bit more experienced in these things, I just feel like I just already wanted to play that class. Just for that, <laughs> I was like, I don't even know what that is. That just sounds like a, you know a, a brilliant thing to do. But now with the luck mechanic, that sounds even more intriguing, and it's 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 brilliant. Well, thank you. Yeah, you know, um, the gambler in particular, and and we'll kind of go on a tangent for a second here. Mm-hmm. Um, the gambler is a specialty class. It's a premium class. Uh, it will be randomly put into starter kits for the Kickstarter as a bonus character. Oh, wow. Um, so it'll be, you know, highly collectible and all kinds of cool things. Um, but I wanted to create uh, for every season that we produce, we're always going to have a premium character like the Gambler who represents a hero with unusual power. Right. They're going to be a little tuned up to be able to do crazier things uh, and to explore some of the more complex and interesting mechanics of the game. Uh, so the gambler earns additional luck dice based on everybody else's roles, um, and he earns them much more easily. In exchange, all of his stats are terrible except <laughs> for luck. Right, And so there becomes an interesting thing for uh, players who are now starting to learn the game and becoming more experienced. They begin to realize the nuances of the luck mechanic, the mathematics itself. How do we manipulate this to make sure that I'm gaining as many luck dice as possible and our gambler is gaining as many luck dice as possible? And then when the moment matters, the gambler has a handful of dice and drops them on the table all at once. And it's this huge epic ending to the story, right? Um, And those are the kind of moments that you can do in a role-playing game. And and we want to instill that sense of excitement in these first-time players. Um, and, And so having mechanics like that enable us to communicate the nuances of the game without having to sit them down and be like okay so let's talk about the mathematics of d6s the average of six is 3.5 which means that every one you add right like yeah. that's not interesting it has no bearing no effect on somebody who's learning how to play the game but if you give them this concept of a resource pool that increases and decreases they learn how to manage it on their own and they begin to internalize the feeling of, okay, how likely is it that I'm going to succeed? How likely is it that I'm going to fail? Is this a moment that I should take a risk or is this a moment that I should hold back and save my luck dice? Or, you know, like it's one of those things that you can communicate through action instead of words. And I think that's one of the things which is, um, for people who don't know, if D&D, that's been when was that made was that like the 70s uh, yep. around that sort of yeah so <clears throat> D&D was made sort of I think before video games were obviously anywhere near as complex as they are now you know games like Skyrim weren't about you know um, so what's quite interesting now is seeing some of the positive influence that you've had from video games and things mixing with the already cemented sort of tabletop on RPGs and it's like it's the way I see your game it is almost like if if D&D had never been made almost, but it got made today, what? how would it be different? What would it be made for? And obviously with D&D, it's slightly different because as you say, it, was, it wasn't, It was I think I remember reading as well, it was initially not designed for what people play it as now. And I think the owner or the creator of it actually gets quite annoyed about people playing it the way they do now or something <laughs> like that, which is quite a bizarre thing to think about with D&D, you know, but um, aside from that. So I think with that influence, it does seem to work very well. But I will ask with your... Um, with the sessions that you've done uh, so far, have you been 
like how have people around you been taking uh this because obviously this is a very big step for you i imagine mm-hmm. well, i'd hope to imagine that your wife is quite supportive but like say your friends are they all quite into D and video games and are they happy with this and they've been helping you sort of who's been in- involved in or behind the scenes in a sense as your cheerleaders in a sense of this project yeah so that was the big thing dimensions didn't start as a business idea it was something that i wanted to build for myself and my friends I knew that I was going to simplify it into oblivion and I didn't think that players, especially enfranchised players who've been playing for a long time, would like that concept very much. And so I just built it for myself. But after I produced my first prototypes, um, which I've actually got one right here, these little 36 millimeter by 36 millimeter cards that fit inside of a Chessex box. Chessex is a popular brand of dice. Yeah. Um, you know, I went out and I got a couple of friends together and we sat down and we played it and the story was terrible, but that wasn't the point. I was testing the mechanics. We got done within 48 hours. Every single one of them had contacted me to get a copy. Oh, wow. And I told them, no, 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 it's not ready yet. You know, I made some iterations. I got a different group of friends together. We played 48 hours later. Every single one of them had contacted me for a copy. Okay. Fluke, right? Twice. Good. We're on the right path. But it's not ready yet. Third time, different group of friends, same thing. At that point, you know, 12 different people across an entire range of experience with role-playing games, including some extremely enfranchised players that have been playing since first edition, second edition. Oh, wow. Um, At that point, I was like, okay, we've got something. (laughs) You know, maybe this is worth developing. And so I started to focus on it a little bit more in earnest. And since then, the response has been overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly positive. Uh, We have people responding to our ads saying that, you know, they think it's a shame that we're ruining their game. Um, But oftentimes, these are the same people who are upset because they don't have enough players to play every week. (laughs) And as soon as you put it into that frame of reference, most of the time they're like, oh, yep, you're right. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I had 30 years to learn how to play this game and my wife or my girlfriend refuses to play it because she sees how complex it is or, you know, my husband, my uncle, my whomever, you know, and especially as it's becoming more in vogue, people watch things like Critical Role or Stranger Things and they get this romanticized version of D&D where everything runs smoothly and everybody knows exactly what to roll and what to add and you know everybody understands the rules perfectly and then they sit down and try to play and it is hard yeah. it is difficult you're looking at literally over a hundred boxes on your character sheet and you have to know what every single one of them does that scares people and it ruins the experience for many people who have this idea that I just want to sit down and tell a story. And as we've played Dimensions with new players, obviously it's great. It's a hit. With enfranchised players, what we're finding is that the liberation, the freedom to step away from the entire complexity and remind them why they started to play in the beginning is hugely refreshing and people are loving it. Um, there are a couple of rules that I particularly love in the Dimensions rule set, and they're all the most non-rules of all. (laughs) The first is, what have I got in my pockets? There's not a fixed inventory system in the base rule set. 
Um, the only time that you don't have something is if the story explicitly calls for it, right? You have to have the silver key to get into the back room, right? You can't just say, oh, hey, look, I have it in my pocket, right? <laughs> but we have situations all the time, and, and this is designed to be universe agnostic. So if you want to play high fantasy, you can play high fantasy. If you want to play sci-fi, you can play sci-fi. We have situations where players sit down at a table. One of them pulls out a sword and chops the goblin's head off. The next one pulls out a blaster rifle. And if they can convince the storyteller that there's a logical reason why they have technology and their buddy isn't using it, Go for it. The story evolves and it changes with the players, which enables you to tell it the way that you've pictured it, pictured it in your head. And it makes gameplay so much smoother. And so we have players who have been playing D&D for 30 years, 40 years at this point, who sit down to play Dimensions and within a couple of minutes, their skepticism has completely melted away and they're grinning ear to ear and jumping up and down and having a good time just like the first time players. Because whatever world you want to build, you build. Mm. And that's, the, that's the, the second set of rules is we have the gold and silver and bronze rules of storytelling. These are rules specifically for the storyteller. This is your game master, dungeon master, right? Um, the first is... It is your job as the storyteller to make sure that the players have a good time. The silver rule is that you will bend and or break the rules as necessary to ensure that the players have a good time. I'll jump into that in a minute. And then the bronze rule is if there's a better story than the one being told, it's your job as the storyteller to help the players tell that story instead. And that is extremely liberating to be told that your story is valid your ideas are good and if you want to do something it doesn't matter how crazy off the wall insane it is there's always a chance for you to do it and when you succeed the moments are epic <laughs> and when you fail it requires you to come together as a team and figure out a way to solve the situation and both of those outcomes are uniquely rewarding in their own ways that's in that's incredible, and I mean one of the things that I found with playing D and D when we played uh, the first time um, with my friend who he hadn't played before, and you know bless him to being a dungeon master and not ever playing D and D before, and none of us <laughs> have played it. You know there were certain. Um, Wait a word, hurdles, maybe bumps in the road mm -hmm. of just because we weren't literate enough and always he. And there'd be times where we'd be like, I want to do this. And he'd be like, mm, you can't do that. And oh, I want to do this. Mm, you can't really do that. And it's not necessarily because of him. It's because of the world is built around a lot of the sort of uh, rigidness of D&D &D, of like, these are the cemented rules. Obviously, people can homebrew things, you know, edit rules and change mm -hmm. things like that. But that kind usually has to be kind of prefaced at the start. Like, oh, everything is the same in this game, but there's no currency. Or everything is the same in this game, but everyone has don't know, unlimited spell slots or something. But with your game, it's more like, no, the top priority isn't following the rules. The top priority is having fun and enjoying it. Yeah. And I can see that you want the DM, storyteller rather, to have as much fun with it and creativity as you want the players to be able to literally do anything. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And yeah. Brilliant. You're getting it. And, and, and that's the beauty of Dimensions. It's part of the reason that we call it Dimensions and where that whole foundational idea came from, right? Is that you hop through these portals, you move between worlds, you do crazy things. And in our canon storyline, you know, we connect it all together in a really beautiful and meaningful way. But foundationally, the goal is that we have rule sets available 
for you to be able to explore all of these different rule, all these different worlds and express yourself through that medium. Not everybody gets high fantasy. Hmm. That's okay. Not everybody gets sci-fi or steampunk or a Middle Eastern aesthetic or a Far Eastern aesthetic or high seas piracy or 1920s gangsters or, you know, the list goes on and on and on of all these different places that we're developing. But the point is, if you want to do it, if you have a story that needs to be told, we want to give you the tool set to tell that story. Because as cool as all the stuff that's in my head is, there is no way that my brain could compute every possible outcome that all of you can. Mm. And as you sit down together and you build those worlds without end, there are stories to be told that I can't even imagine. Exactly. And and with um, what some people, if, if anyone's listening, especially who's never played uh, Dungeons and Dragons and things like that, and maybe don't don't fully understand what the uh, appeal is one of the things is, it's very hard to almost explain and i'm sure you'll probably be able to articulate it much better than i'm about to um is it's it's a it's not necessarily about playing the game it is it's more heavily on the role-playing aspect of it that that's kind of the fun you know it's it's playing around having a laugh with your friends doing silly amazing great big epic things it's it's actually i mean you just clicked with it when we were children, um, you know, people would have great imaginations. You know, you'd have mm-hmm. uh, your toys and things and you'd be running around imagining all these crazy things. And I've got nieces and nephews who do these sorts of things. And it's like, you kind of look at them and it's a small amount of almost uh, envy in a sense because obviously we've kind of been, in a way, uh, ground down a bit from the most people that stand at 9 to 5 and money and stress and blah, 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 all these other things. And video games and other uh, forms of media are very good uh, ways to escape that. And with Dimensions, it is helping creativity and imagination flourish a lot more for as many other people and i know i keep coming back to it but it is just such a good idea of for anyone between the casual gamer or the casual person who's never even played a proper air quotes proper video game before all the way up to the intermediate and it's as you say you may have someone who would have no interest in dungeons and dragons due to the complexity but they might have one of the most brilliant minds for storytelling Mm -hmm. and your platform allows every kind of person and every kind of story to be able to be told in any kind of way which Mm -hmm. is completely unique and that's fantastic thank you yeah you know a lot of people perceive role-playing games as i need to put on a funny hat i need to use a funny voice i need to understand all these complex rules and i have to get into this crazy intense character and yeah and it doesn't have to be that if that's what you want do it have a fantastic time for 88 percent of the population or more that doesn't compute. That doesn't make sense. Don't try to force it on those people. And it's the same thing with rules complexity. It's the same thing with cost and commitment. Give, give people what they need to be able to experience it in their own way. And we talk about children in the way that they imagine and the way that they engage with the world. And there's a beautiful thing in having childlike wonder. You don't need to be childish but you can experience the world and experience problems in a new way through this kind of game. People escape using video games. People escape using Netflix. People escape using D&D. But role-playing games, because of the way that they are positioned, allows you to project your problems into this teeny tiny box. And for a couple of hours, you're the hero. 
you make the decisions. Everything goes your way, and when it doesn't, it's not the end of the world because there are no consequences that are going to prevent you from living your life the way that you've always wanted to live it. And so as you engage with that, there are tons of beautiful experiences, both that I've personally had and that I've witnessed, where people have had real meaningful catharsis. People who have been through extreme trauma or who just get the crap beaten out of them all day show up to D&D and... You know, and I apologize, I get a little emotional about this because I, I know so many people who have benefited and so many people who who desperately need and want this. Um, but for just an hour or two, you get to be the knight in shining armor. And that's the end of part one. Thanks as always for tuning in, guys. Part two, as always, will be released next week. I will make much more of an effort to release it on the Sunday as opposed to on the Monday night. Very sorry about that. Looking at the time now, it may not even be released until past midnight, which will technically make it a Tuesday in the UK, but that's beside the point. Um, as I said in the intro, which I probably realise now I should have said in the outro, but I'm it's very, very late now and I can't be asked to edit it all together, so sorry about that. You have got this far, so you know how lazy I am and rambly the endings are, so make a lot of effort with the intro, make a lot of effort with the midsection, and then the ending outro is just a ramble mess so sorry about that um as i said if you enjoy this chat check out the kickstarter you don't have to donate a lot of money you don't have, well, i keep saying donate you don't have to fund it with a lot of money you don't even have to fund it it's just worth spreading it seeing if there's people you know who like dungeons and dragons and pathfinder even magic the gathering any of these sorts of tabletop games whether or not they've got an rpg element to them it's just something that i think a lot of people are going to enjoy and i think that with the right amount of backing and the right push that Alton, his whole team at Dimensions, they can really make a difference. They can really push it forward and they can make this passion project something huge like it deserves to be. And I say that genuinely... Um, I'm like I've got the affiliate link but I'm not getting paid to say this I've not got I don't get paid for any podcast guests I don't get paid for promos podcasting actually just costs me money from traveling to see uh, people um, who are local um, spending money on website hosting things like that I don't make any money I've actually lost a fair few hundred pounds from podcasting alone that's why I just do it as a passion project so don't take it in my word I'm somehow making any money off it or gonna be making loads or anything like that it's ridiculous it's just that I, I genuinely believe in this. And much like my whole thing that I try and do is I'm trying to be genuine, you know. I speak to a lot of people on these shows. A lot of people have got a lot of things to say. But, and I always recommend people go check other people out. But I, I'm not this serious. And I do not talk about them in this caliber unless I'm serious about it, you know. I thought Frank's book, who's the promo at the start of this, Frank from the Ragbag podcast, he has a really good book of short stories. I implore everyone to go check that out. But this project is the first thing that's come across to me that it's something, I don't know what it is, what I do, is countless reasons, but you know, um, it's just something about this that I, I think it's going to be massive. And I really want Alton to be able to have this passion project truly be his source of income and if that can explode then i will just be happy even if i was one drop of water in the ocean of people supporting him i just think he's a really nice great guy he's very very passionate about this and i just want people to go and sort that so 
that's basically all I'm going to say at the end of this, apart from, you know, part two's out next week. He talks a bit more about certain things as well. Um, so it's a really, really great chat for next week. Um, coming up in the following weeks, who knows? I spoke to Rochelle Lawson, who's a life coach. We had a great old chat. And I've got the elusive Beth Crane episodes to release of We Fix Space Junk. So we'll see about those. Anyway, guys, thanks as always for listening. I really appreciate each and every one of you listening this far. Like, rate, subscribe, blah, 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 that usual jazz. And go check out Dimensions. Anyway, guys, I hope you have a great week. And I'll talk to you all next week.